In October of 1994, Elise and I were taking a walk through Hagerstown, Maryland City Park, a walk that we had done dozens and dozens and dozens of times during our one and a half years that we had been married, uh, or actually uh, dating at that point. Now, there's a particular part of City Park. It's, it's a pretty big park. It's got a huge lake. There are a lot of different trails, but there's this one particular part that we really liked. It, you actually go sort of off the trail down this like stony path, and we actually have a picture for you here. You'll be able to see it, but there's a uh, you come down off the, the main path and you're all the way down at the bottom and there's like just this little place there with some of the water and usually you have some wildlife. Now you can't see it in the picture, but right behind you is a natural stone wall. And so you're, you're like almost in a cave almost. And it's like this really cool thing. And you're just able to come down the path and then you can go back up and get on the trail once again. I have no idea why we like this place so much, but it was our favorite part. Every time we would go walking through City Park, we would always go down to this particular place. Now, on this particular cool October evening, things were going to be a little bit different because right basically where you just saw in the picture, I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me. Now, in that moment, there was one word and one word only that I desperately needed to hear, and that word was what? Shout it out. Type it in in the chat. What was the word I needed to hear? Yes. Yes, I needed to hear the word yes, and thankfully I heard that word yes. And if you think about it, any request that we have in life, that's what we want to have, right? We want to hear the word yes. So you're a teenager, and you're like, Mom and Dad, can I borrow the car? You want to hear? Yes. <laughs> you go to your boss, you say, hey, I'd like to get a raise. You want to hear a, you want to hear a yes. Maybe it's uh, friends after church on Sunday, you say to them, hey, would you guys like to grab some lunch? You want to hear a, a yes. Here's one everybody wants to hear the yes to. Hey, we're moving. Could you help us move? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about with that one? You want to hear, even more so, maybe you want to hear a yes when you ask somebody to marry you. You want to hear a yes when you ask people, hey, could you help us to move? Now, do you always hear a yes? No, you don't. Sometimes you hear it. But you want to hear that yes. What if I told you that there are some prayers that you can pray that God desperately wants to say yes to you just as much as you want to hear the yes? You'd be curious about what those prayers are, right? What exactly could I pray that God would always say yes to? Now, I know some of you are already skeptical. You're going, Gilbert, I've prayed before, and God doesn't always answer my prayers. Even prayers, I think that he wants to answer. He hasn't answered. Why would God not answer all of my prayers? Well, it's pretty simple. How many of your parents? How many of you online there? How many, how many of your parents? Did you say yes to every single thing your child asked you? No. Why? Because ice cream is not an entree. You can't say yes to that. Mom, Dad, can, can I have some Mountain Dew? It's your bedtime. No, you can't have Mountain Dew right now. So anytime something was unwise or was unhealthy or it didn't fit into the bigger plan for your family... You said no. Your heart's desire was to say yes as many times as you could. If they were asking for something that was going to make them healthy, it was going to make them wise, that was a part of the, the big uh, picture of the family. You, you, you wanted to say yes, but sometimes you had to say no. 
And God is the exact same way. And so that's why today we're starting this brand new series called Four Prayers God Always Answers. What we're going to do is over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, I'm going to share with you four very specific prayers that if you pray this, God will answer it 100% of the time. Now, I know some of you are going, Gilbert, that's a bit presumptuous to think that God would always answer some prayers. But it's not presumptuous, it's actually a promise, and it's a promise that comes directly from Jesus. Look at John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says this, and this is the day before he's crucified. He says, if you stay joined to me and my word becomes a part of you, then you can pray for whatever you want, and your prayer will be answered. Now, here's the mistake that so many people make with this particular verse. They put the emphasis on the wrong part. They're basically like, okay, Jesus said that, you know, if I remain in him and he, his word remains in me, then I can ask for whatever I want. I'm going to get it. I'm just going to ask for the world. The emphasis is wrong. The emphasis is Jesus saying, if you remain in me and my word remains in me or, or remains in you, then you can ask for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. Now, even if you get that wrong of where you emphasize there, the promise still stands that if we ask anything according to the revealed word of God, he will answer that prayer for us. This goes back to basically what I was saying earlier. And, you know, I said this as a parent that you want to give your kids whatever. But even if you're a coach or you're an employer, you want your children, you want your athletes, you want your employees to be successful and, and productive. And so you're going to say yes to anything that helps them to be successful and productive. So if the kids on your sports team, they come and say, coach, can we stay after practice late, work on some more drills? What are you going to say as a coach? Yes, of course. Your kid comes to you and goes, mom, dad, can we eat more vegetables for dinner? Yes. And see, it's the exact same way with God. If it's going to make you healthier and a more productive, a more fruitful follower of his, He's going to say yes to you every single time. Now, by the way, what Jesus said to us here in the passage I read earlier, that's just one of about a dozen different times throughout the New Testament that we read something very similar to that. Let's look at another example. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence we can have when praying to God, that if we ask anything according to his will, not only does he hear us, but we can know that we will receive what it is that we have asked from him. So there's the principle that if we're asking according to the will of God and it's going to make you healthy, it's going to make you productive, it's going to make you wiser, and it's a part of God's big picture plan, he's going to say yes to you. So what I'm going to do over these next four weeks is I will give you just simple prayers that you can pray that God is going to say yes to because these prayers will make you healthy, they're going to make you wise. They're going to be a part of his plan every single time. So today I want to start by talking to you about wisdom. 
James, who was the, the brother of Jesus, and I've told you this before, you know, he didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. Here's what James writes in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you need wisdom, you should do what? You should ask God, and it will be given to you. God is generous and will not correct you for asking. Now, you know, the first half of that verse, that's pretty straightforward, right? If you're lacking wisdom, ask God, and he's going to give it to you. So that makes sense. What I was curious about was, what about the second part of that verse? Why does he say God isn't going to like hold it against you for asking for wisdom? Well, to explain that, let me ask you a question. Why is it that so many times, either you, yourself or somebody else that you know, why do a lot of people not ask for advice? What, what is the big reason that people don't ask for advice? What do you think? Type it in there in the chat. What do you think? Because of what? For a lot of people, it's because of pride. That I don't want people to think I'm stupid. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just not going to ask. But, you know, even when it comes to, to pride there, what is the, the root of that? What is it that we're proud about? What is it that we're afraid of? What is it that we're trying to protect? Well, there's two things if you're taking notes. And for those of you here in the live in the room, if you pull out your phone, you can go to our website, exponential.church, get the notes. Those of you watching online, welcome this morning. Up there in the uh, upper right-hand corner, you see that little button there, right? Yeah, I think it's right there. There, right there, yeah. Uh, it's called Talk Notes. If you push that, uh, that'll get you to all the notes as well. Uh, but the, the, the first thing of why is it that we have this, this sort of pride? What is it that we're trying to protect? It's that I don't want to look foolish. Right? So often we fail to ask for advice because we're like, man, I... If I ask this, I'm going to look like a fool. People are going to think that I'm stupid. I, 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 can't, I can't ask this. People think I'm dumb. Here's the problem with that. Our fear of looking foolish is often greater than our fear of failure. I'll say it again. Our fear of looking foolish is greater than our fear of failure. And so what that means is basically... I'd rather fail than look stupid in front of people. But we can't be that way. We can't have that kind of pride. We've got to actually ask for help. We need to ask for advice. But when we have this, this fear of looking foolish, we stop asking for advice, including asking advice from God and from the wisdom of His Word. And all of a sudden, we think that we know more than God. And that's a dangerous place to be. Here's the second thing, is that I overestimate how wise I actually am. And when it comes to any decision or situation that you encounter in life, we tend to think, you know what? Other people, this would overwhelm them. Not me. I'm smart. I can handle this. I've got this under control. This can't defeat me. Parents, let me ask you a question. What age was your child when they began to think that they were smarter than you? Shout it out. Type it in there in chat. What, what do you think? What age was it when your child thought that they were smarter than you were? Come on, shout out some numbers. Okay, yeah, I'm hearing 
12. I heard some, I think, some earlier numbers. I would tend to, and I don't have kids, but I would tend to agree that it's like two years old. They're called the terrible twos for a reason, right? All of you, whether you have kids or not, we've all seen a little kid standing there defiantly, chests puffed out, hands on hips. Mommy, I can do it my, what? I can do it myself. Now, where did that come from? How is it that all of a sudden we're like thinking that we know more than this this person that's bigger and better than we are? How how do we even get there? Thankfully, it's recorded right here in the good old B-I-B-L-E. We only have to get three chapters in the Scripture that we find the first uh, time that the word wisdom is used. And it's in the context of the story of Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve had been placed there in a beautiful garden called Eden. And keep, keep in mind that, man, this is like beyond what your wildest imagination could even dream. It's a perfect environment. She has deep intimacy with her husband. Not just physical intimacy, but emotional and, and spiritual intimacy with him. They are naked and without shame. There's nothing that they're hiding from one another. And she has that same thing with, with God. She has this deep intimacy with God the Father. They walk together in the cool of the day. And God had said, look, everything, look around, guys, look around. Everything that you see, as far as the eye can see, it's all yours. I'm giving it to you. It's my gift to you. Except for one thing. God says, just to sort of prove that you do truly love me, and you're not taking everything that I've given you for granted, This one tree here, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just don't eat of the fruit of this one. But everything else, everything else, it's all yours. Have at it. But then one day, Eve finds herself standing there in front of the very thing that she can't have. And here's what we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the very first part of the verse. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Now, let me stop here for a second. Do you think in the Garden of Eden, there were other trees that were beautiful? Yes or no? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to get this one right. Yes or no? Uh, Yes. Were there other trees that not only looked delicious, but she actually had firsthand experience that the fruit of it was delicious? Yes or no? Yes. So that wasn't what tempted her. It wasn't the tree that tempted her. Here's what tempted her. Look at the second part of verse 6 there. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. The problem was this. She didn't no longer want to go to the source of wisdom. She wanted to be the source of wisdom. Let me say that again. She already had God, the very source of wisdom. But she didn't want to go to God, the source of wisdom. She wanted to be the source of wisdom. But do you remember what James said earlier? He said that you need to get wisdom. Wisdom isn't something that pours out of you. Wisdom is something you have got to go and get. You have to seek after 
wisdom. You have to get wisdom. Wisdom isn't in you. Wisdom is found in God. And God will give you wisdom in a situation. And God sometimes will give you wisdom to give to other people. But you yourself are not wise. So don't make the mistake of Eve. You are not the source of wisdom. Now let's contrast that with somebody else. His name is Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. We talked about David actually last week as we wrapped up our previous series. Solomon became the new king after David's death when he was only 20 years old. How many of you remember what it was like to be 20 years old? Remember that? How many of you remember that you thought you had everything figured out? That you were wiser than any other generation that had ever come along before? That you had the world by the tail? You know, in today's terminology, Generation Z, they say to us, they're like, okay, boomer. Right? They, they think that Gen X, you know, the, the boomers, you know, that you guys, you're old school, you don't know anything. We have it all figured out. In other words, we're smart and you're not. Let me ask you a question for those of you that are 30, 40, 50, 60 or older. How many of you now realize that the 20-year-old you, there were some things that you didn't know that you didn't know? You know what I'm saying? There was just simply some things that you didn't know that you didn't know. And, and that's the, the problem with, you know, younger generations is that, you know, they, there's just some things that they don't know that they don't know. But we can't really blame them for that because we were 20 at one point. We were the same way. There's just some things that you don't know that you don't know. But where this leads into pride and arrogance and really gets you into trouble is when you don't know that there's things that you don't know that you don't know. Does that make sense? It's okay to not know some things that you don't know because we don't know everything. But when you don't know that there's things that you don't know that you don't know, now you're in trouble. And that's why so many teens, that's why so many young adults get in all kinds of trouble because they're know-it-alls. I know better than my parents. I know better than my teachers. I know better than the church. I know better than my boss. And they just simply don't know that they don't know some things. Again, this actually applies to all of us. It's okay to not know some things, but if you don't know that you don't know that you don't know, then it's going to get you into trouble. It's going to lead to pride. It's going to lead to arrogance. It's going to make you think that you are wiser than what you actually are. And you're going to stop asking people for help and asking for advice. Now back to the story of Solomon. Remember, he's only 20 years old. He's the new king, and God comes to him and he says, look, ask me for anything, and I'm going to give it to you. Basically, God's giving him a blank check. Now put yourself back in 20-year-old used shoes. You're given a blank check from God. You can have anything you want. I don't know about you, but I'd have messed this one up. 
I'd have really gotten this one wrong. Solomon didn't. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10. We actually get to see what he asked for. He said, make me wise and give me the knowledge I'll need to govern this great nation of yours. Solomon knew that there was things that he didn't know that he didn't know. And so he said, God, I'm going to need some wisdom in this. And this prayer here of God, give me wisdom, is the prayer that you can pray and God will answer it every single time. Oh man, did God ever answer this for Solomon? Solomon became the wisest man who ever lived. And thankfully for us, he wrote a lot of it down. We have it recorded right here in the Word. When he's a young man, he, he writes this uh, thing. It's called the Song of Solomon. And basically, it's a whole manual on the wisdom of how to have a good marriage and a great sex life. It's right there in, in Scripture. Solomon writes it all down for us. As he gets a little older, he has some kids. And he starts writing down these sayings of his that would help his kids to grow up and be wise themselves. That's called the book of Proverbs. And then he gets toward the end of his life. And he writes what's called Ecclesiastes. He's reflecting back and he's like, man, even though I was wise, here's the mistakes I made. And you want to learn from these mistakes so that you don't do the exact same thing. That's all Solomon. Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all wisdom from him, the wisest man ever lived. Now, many of you are already familiar with Proverbs. And again, I want you to, to sort of picture what's going on here. Solomon, every single night, he's sitting down at his dinner table. And there's his kids sitting around. He's not telling dad jokes. He's just giving wise sayings. And you know, sometimes with your kids, right, they're like, okay, and they're rolling their eyes and stuff. But they're not rolling their eyes. They're going, Dad, that's really good. You should probably write that down. And so he starts writing all of these wise sayings so his children know how to grow up and be wise themselves. One of his sons, Rehoboam, it was the oldest son and the one that would succeed David then as king, he was there at the dinner table every single night hearing Solomon just one wise proverb after another. I want to read one of them to you just to, to see what Solomon had to say even about wisdom itself. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, Solomon writes this, Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget my words or turn from them. Do not abandon wisdom, and it will watch over you. Love wisdom, and it will protect you. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. So even if it costs you all of your possessions, get understanding. What an advantage Solomon's kids had. Rehoboam, what an advantage he had having Solomon as a follower, as a father. But yet in Rehoboam's very first year of his reign, not only did he ruin all of Solomon's legacy, but he launched Israel into a civil war that I would say Israel has never even recovered from, even to this very day. And the lesson for us is this. It's not enough just to be around wise people. Wisdom doesn't come just by osmosis. You should be around wise people, but it, it isn't just going to just sort of magically happen for you. 
What did James say? You have to do what? You have to get wisdom. You have to seek after wisdom. You have to pray to God for wisdom. Again, God will always answer that prayer. And the reason I know He'll always answer that prayer is He's already given us all the resources that we need in order to get that. That's what I want to talk to you about for the remainder of today's message. What are those three resources? Now, typically, typically, when I'm doing a message and you're filling in your blanks, you know, I have like, here's point one, here's point two, here's point three. But that's not what we're going to do today. Because this isn't a sort of choose your own adventure with these three. This isn't you do one of them and you can forget about the other two or do two out of them and it's like, you know, the old song, two out of three ain't bad. No, it isn't that way. You have got to do all three of these things. So what I'm doing for today's message is I'm actually going to put all three points into one long sentence for you. That way you're reminded that I've got to do all three of these things, not just one. But we will go through them each individually. So here's the first one, or here's the first part of the sentence. I will get wisdom when I read God's Word. God's Word is true whether you believe in it or not. It's sort of like gravity. You can tell me till you're blue in the face that you don't believe in gravity, but let's take you up to the top of the church here and have you jump off. And quickly, you're going to believe in gravity. Some things just happen whether you believe in it or not. And it's the same way with God's Word. It's true whether you believe it or not. And the principles found in God's Word are going to work in your life whether you believe it or not. And the reason I say that is I, I want to especially address those of you that are watching online. I know we've had a lot of you that are, are tuning in from all over the country, and some of you are still kicking the tires on this whole thing called Christianity. You know, you're not sure about the Bible. You're not sure about Jesus and this whole thing called the church, but yet you're tuning in and you're watching, and, and we hope that you're finding this a safe place to continue to explore all the claims of what Christians believe. But what I'm saying to you is you don't have to even believe in the Bible for the Bible to impact your life. Now, I, I, I particularly, I believe that this is the, the inspired word of God. But you don't have to believe it's the inspired word of God in order for the inspired word of God to inspire you and to change you. Again, the principles that are found here work no matter who applies them. Whether you're a Christian or not, if you put God's word into action, it will work for you it's truth. And so really the, the barrier to the Bible isn't whether we believe in it or not. The barrier to the Bible is just our unfamiliarity with Scripture. And this applies to even some of you that are already followers of Jesus. That the real barrier for you is just that you're not familiar enough with Scripture. And, and listen, I understand why. This is a big book, and it was written in a different time to a different people of a different culture in other languages. And there are some really difficult passages to, to try to get through in here. So I, I understand that. But we can't be intimidated. We have got to seek the wisdom that's found here in God's Word. We've got to get wisdom. And so we do need to just continue to, to read it and, and try to get understanding. It can be tough. But don't stop seeking after wisdom. Now, let me throw this in. 2021 here is my 21st year of being a pastor. Last 10 here at Exponential. And I've had 
21 years, the great honor that I actually get paid to study this book. That's so cool. But here's what I want to say. If myself or any other pastor from here at Exponential or any other pastor you've ever heard has ever made you feel that, oh, you need me as your pastor in order to understand this, then I want to apologize. I can give you some maybe extra things because I am spending more time in it than you are because I'm paid to spend more time in it than you are. So maybe I can give you some extra things or I can give you some tips or some pointers. But listen, you don't need me in order to get in here and to understand what this is all about. You're not going to get before God one day and he starts, you know, judging you about things and asking you about things. And you're like, well, Gilbert never preached a sermon on that one. Guess I'm good. Now, listen. My heart is I want to help you grow as much as I can spiritually. I want to help you to take those next steps. And I'll be held accountable for that. But your own personal walk, your own personal journey with Jesus, that's on you. You have got to seek the wisdom that is found in here. Now, let me let you in on a little secret that's helped me. Would you like to know a little secret? Okay. All right. This isn't the secret part, but 21 years ago when I became a pastor, uh, the gift that my very first church gave to me was a piece of Bible software called Logos, and it has like thousands and thousands of books in it. It's like a couple thousand dollar package that they bought me to begin with, this software to download for your computer. Actually, at the time, it was still on floppy disk. You remember floppy disk? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we eventually went to CDs, and then eventually it became downloads, but... Um, it has all this stuff, so all these translations of the Bibles and Bible commentaries and Bible dictionaries and other study tools, concordances, and, and just like books about, you know, the Bible and everything. And so for years, that's what I've used is this piece of software. And as the years have gone on, I've actually, out of my own pocket, added on hundreds, if not even thousands of dollars worth of other stuff. So I have over 50,000 books right there in my piece of computer software. However, here's what I noticed as the years went on. That's a lot of stuff on a computer, and it started to make my computer really, really slow. And so I started looking for something as an alternative, and I found something that's absolutely free, and it's available to you as well. Now, this is the secret part. Lean in, lean in. Online, you ready? Bill, give me a tight, tight shot here if you haven't already. It's called Google. In the Greek, that's Google as well. In Hebrew, it is Google. You don't need fancy Bible software that costs you thousands of dollars like I have. You know what I use now? Google. Many of you, you ask questions of me all the time, and some of them I already know the answer to, but you know what I do most of the time? I go to Google and I type in, what does the Bible say about blank? What does the Bible say about anger? What does the Bible say about adoption? What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible say about pride? What does the Bible say about you name it? Even a particular verse, you're like, hey, because you think I have like this whole thing memorized. I don't. You're like, hey, what does uh, in Leviticus uh, 19.22? 
oh, what, what does it mean? I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what Leviticus 19.22 is, you know. And so it's like, I first of all, I got to look it up. And then maybe I know what it is, you know, how to answer your question. But then sometimes it's like, what does the Bible say about Leviticus 19.22? Now, here's what some of you are already going. You're already pushing back because some of you are going, McGilbert, you can't believe everything that you read on the internet. And you're right. You can't believe everything that you read on the internet. But what I'm encouraging you is this. We're not going to Google and typing in these things because we're interested in what the articles say. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the top five, top ten lists there. We're going to skim through those articles, and what we're looking for is this. What is the Scriptures that every single article keeps coming back to? Again, we don't care about the commentary. We want to know what are the Scriptures that they're referencing. Because if you're like, man, all 10 articles, they all mention the same Scripture, guess what? More than likely, they're on the right track. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take that Scripture and we're going to go to another free software or a, a free website that you can go to, BibleHub.com. It's in your notes. Uh, I put it there for you, BibleHub.com. That's BibleHub.com. And you're going to put in the search bar there whatever Scripture you found in all these other articles. Just put it right there. And now guess what you have? You have access to all the same things I have access to. Bible commentaries, Bible dictionaries, you'll have the Greek, you'll have the Hebrew, you know, depending on whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, you'll have the, uh, uh, you know, the, the concordances and, and the, the Bible of, uh, 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 the dictionary of Bible knowledge. I mean, you're just going to have all these things. You'll have like 20 some different uh, translations and paraphrases that you can have them all right there on the same page. So if you want to see what John 3.16 looks like in 20 different translations, right there on one page, boom, 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 boom. You can just read all of them. Again, you don't need me in order to study God's Word and to get the wisdom that's found in God's Word. Now, here's the caution. Just knowing more about Scripture and, and reading through and studying it on BibleHub.com, that's not going to make you wise. What makes you wise is putting it into action. The Hebrew word for wisdom is sometimes also translated as the word skill. And so, like, a carpenter would be said to be wise with a hammer and saw. Or a soldier, he is wise with the, the, the sword and the shield. So it's not about just knowing things. It's about actually doing things. And that gets to the second part of the sentence here. And that is, I will get wisdom when I read God's Word and then put it into practice or put it into action. Again, Jesus' brother James, at one point, he says, don't just be a hearer of the Word. Don't just be a, a reader of God's Word. Be a doer of God's Word. Put it into practice. Put it into action. Now, here at Exponential, we call these next steps. We're always saying to you, there is a next step that you need to take. And here's what's so cool about God. Yes, there may be five or 10 or 20 or 100 next steps that you need to take, but he doesn't show all of them to you at once because you'll get overwhelmed by it. What he does is this. He says, here's the next step you need to take right now. 
And as soon as you take that next step, guess what he does? He reveals to you the next step you need to take. And then the next step after that, and the next step after that. All of a sudden, you've taken 20 steps. You've taken 100 steps. You've gotten to where God wanted you to be, but you weren't overwhelmed by it because you just took one next step at a time. And so the whole reason that we're going to Google, what does the Bible say about, and then take those verses and put it in the BibleHub.com, isn't just to fill our heads with knowledge and make ourselves puffed up that, oh man, look at me, you know, I'm studying scripture and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it's about. It's about, okay, God, out of that, what is it that you want me to do right here and right now? What is the next step that you'd have me to take? Billy Graham, the, the famous evangelist, once said this. He said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that scare me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that scare me. Because what he was getting at was this. It's one thing to know it in your head. It's another thing to actually put it into action. And if we're not putting it into action, then we're in sin. And here's what we need to realize. In, in, in Scripture, we actually we, we read this, that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they cause it to them to tremble with fear. But yet, we know that demons aren't making it to heaven, right? So it's not about just intellectual belief. It's not even about a, an awe of God and a, a fear of God. It's that that translates into action, that you actually do something about it. Now, here's the thing. Many of you are already biblically knowledgeable beyond your obedience. Does that make sense? You are biblically knowledgeable beyond your obedience. In other words, you already know what Scripture says about diet and exercise. You already know what Scripture says about sexuality or about pride or about being a good spouse or a good parent. You already know these things, but yet you haven't been obedient to it. Again, it's all about action. So no matter what it is, food, alcohol, money, you know, sex, pride, how to treat your spouse, you've got to put it into action. So the barrier isn't knowledge. The barrier is your discipline to actually put it into action. And just like I said earlier, that this doesn't happen with osmosis of just being around wise people. Well, guess what? You becoming a disciplined person isn't something God's just going to magically drop on your lap. That's why we need the last part of our sentence here, and that is, I will get wisdom when I read God's Word, then put it into action amongst a community of people that I've given permission to hold me accountable. This is why being in a church and being a part of a life group is so, so important. You can't do life on your own. You need people to help keep you on the track, uh, to keep you on track. And so the barrier here is isolation. It's isolation. Every problem that a person has or every moral failure that a person has is because they've either isolated themselves from people altogether or they've isolated themselves from people that can call them out about things. And that last one's especially dangerous, especially if you become more successful in, in something. We see this all the time with athletes and politicians and celebrities and even pastors. That it's possible to isolate yourself from people that 
you aren't giving permission to call you out for things. In other words, you just have a bunch of yes people around you. And unfortunately, we saw a sad example of this here just recently. A man who was such a tremendous influence on me, Ravi Zacharias, a great uh, evangelist, a great apologetic preacher. When, when you go to things about what does the Bible say about, you know, like tough issues, cultural things, you're probably going to come across a Ravi Zacharias response of how to, how to handle that from a scriptural standpoint. And what he says is going to be absolutely true. However, this was even after his death, it came out that he had so isolated himself that he was involved in all kinds of sexual improprieties. And as they investigated and sort of did the behind-the-scenes sort of forensic work on it, of how did this happen in this ministry that is international all around the world? How did this happen? What they discovered was he only had people around him that he knew wouldn't call him out about anything. He had isolated himself. And again, we, we can do the exact same thing. And I, I've told you before, the, the danger of the past year wasn't the virus of COVID. I mean, it was dangerous, but that wasn't the biggest virus that we faced. The biggest virus that we faced over the past year has been this virus of isolation. And I share with you at the very, very beginning, the mistake was calling it social distancing instead of physical distancing. Because what so many people have done over the past year is they have just shut themselves completely off from the outside world. They've lost all their social connection. And that's, that's dangerous because mentally and emotionally and spiritually, it's just, it is horrible. Suicide rates in the United States right now are at all-time highs. Why? Because people have isolated themselves. And so here's what I want to say. The isolation has to stop. I'm going to talk to you that are watching online right now. Some of you are watching right now. They're in your home. You're in your pajamas. You're still in your bed maybe, drinking your coffee. And the only reason you're not here physically in the building is because you've gotten comfortable with it, of staying home. And that needs to stop. You need to come back. You can't stay isolated any longer. Now, there are some of you that are watching online and you're watching for legitimate reasons. There are health concerns that you have or, or family members and you need to stay at home and continue to watch online. And that's fine. But you can't stay isolated either. You have got to get in a, a Zoom group. Get in a life group. You need people that are spiritually holding you accountable and helping you to take those next steps. For those of you here in the room, if you're not yet in a life group, you need to be in a life group. You can't do life by yourself. You need a group of people that together you're seeking the wisdom of God's Word, the truth of God's Word, and you're encouraging and spurring one another on towards that action of love and good deeds. And you're close enough with the, the group of people that you're like, hey, if you see something in my life that needs to be called out, I'm giving you permission to call it out. All of us need that. I don't care who you are. All of us need people that can say, man, you're in sin right now. 
But they don't do it pointing the finger in judgment. They do it because they love you. And they say, what can I do to come alongside and pray for you and encourage you and, and, and continue to hold you accountable? So the isolation has to stop. We've got to get back in the community. We need that connection. Now, you know, typically I end messages by me praying for you. But today what we're going to do is something a little bit different. Because remember, this series is called Four Prayers That You Can Pray, or that, uh, Four Prayers That God Always Answers. And so these are the prayers that you can pray that, that God's going to answer for you. So what I'm going to do is I have a sort of a model prayer that we're going to put on the screen for you. And I'll read each sentence for you. And then I just want you to repeat it out loud after me. And there at home, you participate as well. So let's pray. Lord, give me insight from your word so I may live wisely. Develop my discipline to do what I already know I should do. Give me humility to ask others for advice and the courage to ask them to hold me accountable. Father, I ask this with confidence because I know this is a prayer you will always answer. In Jesus' name, amen.